Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Before we start again, I want to just uh, special thanks to Gwen and the family. Uh, you know the tremendous uh, support and encouragement behind the scenes for any leader, uh, official, unofficial, and I just want to recognize that's why I wanted to have the family stand up here. So thank you, Gwen, and the whole family for Brian. As we continue to walk through the Gospel of Mark, I'd like to invite you to stand to receive humbly God's Word as we read the first ten verses of Mark chapter 4. God says, Mark writes, He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell by the road. And the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up. And because it had no depth of soil, and after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and choked it and yielded no crop. Other seed fell into the uh, good soil, and they grew up and increased, and they yielded a crop that, would, that produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. Father in heaven, would you take the truth of your word and would you help us to examine our hearts this morning in light of your word? Make this more than a meeting. You are the honored guest. You are the focus this morning. And we desperately need to hear and want to listen to the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May be seated. Jesus loved to teach in parables because parables were everyday stories where Jesus would communicate creatively some aspect of God's kingdom, some aspect of God's character, or a powerful principle of life that he wanted them to live out. And so he taught many times with parables. This is one of the first parables, and one of the parables is mentioned in all of the Gospels. And notice this parable in verse one says that, uh, verse 3 says this. It's a command. Listen to this. Listen to this. To this. Down in verse 9, it says this, and he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 12, he was saying this, that while they may hearing, they may hear and not understand. And then in verse 23 and 24, which is the small uh, parable after the parable we're looking at this morning, he says this, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Now listen, 
Jesus is not stuttering. Jesus is not repeating himself just to repeat himself. He is commanding. This whole parable is couched ten times. He uses the word listen or hear. And it's vital and it's a command and we need to do that. If we're going to search our hearts and have a spiritual EKG this morning. When I was 47 years old, I was about three and a half years old in Christ. Unchurched kid, hadn't even read through the whole Bible yet. And yet our pastor at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. was the chaplain of the United States Senate. That means that in our youth group, as I was one of the the, uh, leaders in our youth group directing the high school ministry, a lot of the kids in the youth group were kids of senators and congressmen and judges and so forth. So it was was high impact, high power. And this was going to be the first time that I ever addressed the parents. It's one thing addressing a group of high school students. It's a whole other thing addressing their parents. Now this is back when, you know, bell bottoms and my hair was longer because I had more hair, all that kind of thing. And I was going to address them. There's several hundred parents there and some of the kids. And I always invited my dad. I grew up in an unchurched family. Always invited my dad to come to stuff. He never did. He was very supportive of me. But he never came to anything except this one time. And I was pacing behind the curtain. I was so nervous. I was terrified to address this audience. And about three minutes before the curtain was going to open, I was going to be introduced, and I was sweating and so forth, my dad walks behind the curtain. Didn't say anything. He walked, I was shocked. Dad, you're here. This is great. And he looked me in the eye and said, Son, I just met the girl you need to marry. <laughs> Dad, what, what, Dad, you're killing me here. What, what, by the way, who is it? <laughs> okay. He says, yes, there's this girl called Janet, and there's the way she filled out my name tag, and she's beautiful, and she's cute, and he said this, and I remember the words, he said this, Perry, did you hear me? You need to act on it soon. Forty-six years ago, September 13th, I acted, and she's sitting right there, and I'm so glad I listened to my father and acted. That's what Jesus is screaming. I want you to listen to what I'm saying, and I want you to act upon it. Because I have some things, just like you responded to your father, I want you to respond to the Heavenly Father. The best way to love God is to listen to Him and act on what He says. How do I know that? The John 3.16 of the Old Testament was Deuteronomy 6.4. It's called the Shema. Hear, O God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Jesus plagiarized that right out of the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, listen to God and do what he says. He's going to be God whether you do it or not. It's for your benefit that he does that. Now watch, I just want to show you the kind of person that Jesus is talking about. Listen to me. There is a $10 bill for anyone in this congregation that would like it under the globe in the front of the auditorium. (laughs) 
We'll take the offering later, okay? <laughs> Stupid example. All of you heard me. One person listened. What was the difference? He acted on what he heard. And that's precisely what Jesus said. I want you to listen and I want you to act on what I'm telling you. I want you to picture with me. Look at verses 1 and 2. And he began to teach again by the sea. Now the sea is Sea of Galilee. Think of Lake Murray, just a little bit smaller than Lake Murray. And the crowd was pressing against Jesus. So much so that he had to sit in a boat so he wouldn't just be pushed out into the water. So he's sitting in a boat. If he really wanted to impress the crowd, he could have just stood on the water. But he didn't want to distract him. He wanted them to hear what he was saying. And he started teaching them in parables. And as he did... Just, I can just imagine him. Just about as he's about ready to preach, he looked over and he saw this guy over in this field, this farmer, and this farmer just sowing the seed. He says, hey, everybody, look at that guy sowing right there. Do you see him? Listen to this parable because he's sowing the seed and my father is sowing the truth. My father is always speaking. Psalm 19 says this, Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night pours forth knowledge about His glory, about His greatness, about His goodness and grace. God's always speaking. He's always communicating. We do not have a dead, silent God. So the sower over there is is, is sowing. And what he's sowing is His truth. The truth is an extension of God's heart. And I want you to listen to the truth on God's heart. But more than that, I also want you to know there are four kinds of soil. That seed doesn't just go on uh, one kind of soil. There are all kinds of soil. And it is up to you because that soil represents your heart. Because my Father wants His seed to germinate in your heart and grow. You can just imagine Jesus, Jesus saying that right there. Because what he, what he understood was that the disciples didn't get it. Verse 10, As soon as he was alone, his followers along with the twelve began asking him about the parable. And he said in verse 13, Do you not understand? If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand all the parables. This is why this is the first of the parables. Because you, if you're going to understand all the rest and take them into your heart, you're going to have to make sure your heart is good soil. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Listen, do you have a hungry heart? When you stop asking questions, when you stop asking questions about God's Word and about the truth of God's Word, you're going to stop growing. Always question. Always ask questions. Always hunger and seek for more. Not some big deep truth, because all truth is deep truth. But search for God's truth. Hunger for it like these disciples. Jesus, which is so pleased, he didn't just say, what a bunch of idiots. How come you didn't get that? He didn't say that. He said, I want you to understand this. I'm so thankful. I'm so proud of you guys that you have a hungry heart for my truth. So let's keep that hungry heart. Because here's where we're going to go this morning. This parable is all about examining your hearts. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a heart attack. 
Okay, I thought I had a heart attack one time, and Chuck Solomon, this is honor of you, okay? I was driving along, I was coming home from a lunch, and I thought my chest started hurting so over, and I just happened to be in Park Ridge Hospital, went right off of 26 in there, I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. They rushed me back and so forth. It was not a heart attack, but they hooked me up and did all kinds of testing. at shingles, what was going on. I didn't realize it, okay? And it's very painful. My, oh, my heart could hardly breathe. But I tell you one thing, when that cardiologist came into the room with his test results, what was I doing? I was listening. And God says, Jesus says, I want you to listen as though I'm the cardiologist because I want you to examine your heart in light of Mark 4 this morning. So that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to have a spiritual EKG. This is not going to be a comfortable, feel-good time. There's going to be a time where you're going to be encouraged and challenged both to examine your heart. So let's dive in. The first of the soils is in verse 15 when Jesus is explaining it to the disciples. There are ones who beside, uh, these are the ones who beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear it, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. This is called a hard and unresponsive heart. A hard and unresponsive heart. Now before you shut me off, don't sit here saying, oh, I don't have a hard heart. I don't feel hard. It's not about what you feel. It's about what you receive. So here's the question, the key question behind this heart. What truth has God sown upon your heart that has been or is now being stolen by the enemy? Listen to that question. What seed of truth has God sown from Todd's great sermon last week, from your time in the Word this week, from what we sung and read this morning. What one seed has God put in your heart that Satan's already stealing because your heart is hard? That is a huge, hard question. Because a word cannot penetrate because it is recklessly trafficked by so many things. Picture a hard gravel road back in Jesus' day. Think of all the ox and all the horses and the wagon wheels and the traffic that just trampled, trampled, trampled so that nothing can grow where it's hard. What is trampling in your life? What hoofs are just beating you down, unconfessed sin? What wagon wheels are just crushing any small little germination it takes possible. Were you distracted? God says the first of the hearts is a hard heart, and there are more hard hearts than you think there are. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart with all diligence. You guard your heart. That's not your wife's responsibility. It's not your husband's responsibility. It's not your pastor's. It is your responsibility to guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The hard question about God's truth is, are you going to get, are you just going to listen, or are you distracted right now, what you're going to eat for lunch this afternoon, what you have to do? Already, I can see it. Satan's already starting to steal a lot of the truth from our lives. And Jesus will have none of it. That's why he calls us out on it in the first place. Now, some of you know 
Uh, I'm a collector of heart-shaped rocks around the world. For the last 40 years, I've been collecting heart-shaped rocks. Missions trips. Found one yesterday. I was out mountain biking over at Harbison. Saw a rock. God has just given me uh, an eye for heart-shaped rocks. And I bring them home to Janet. If they meet or muster, we keep it. We've got about six, 700 of them at home. Okay? We've got them 15 pounds, 30 pounds, all the way down to little tiny ones. But the reason I do it, one, they're free, and I'm cheap, okay? Number, number two, it helps her to know that whether I'm on a mission trip or mountain biking, I'm thinking of her. But the real reason I collect heart-shaped rocks is because of all the soils, this is the one that my heart most identifies with. Just this past week, complaining, anger, comparison, envy, and worry and selfishness all hardened my heart. That I, and during that time, anytime I experienced one of those, Satan was stealing God's word that I had read that morning. That's one of the reasons I collect those rocks. Is your heart hard like mine? Now there's only one cure for it, and that's this. It's found in Jeremiah 4.3. Plow up the hardness of your hearts, otherwise a good seed will be wasted. It's called repentance. It's called coming before God and saying, God, I confess my heart is hard. I confess that that which I learned yesterday, it's gone. I can't even remember what I studied. What I committed to do yesterday, it's gone. The busyness of life, the hoofprints of sin, the wagon wheels of worry, all those things up there that I confess to you, Harden my heart, and Satan stole, stole your word out of my How can that happen? It happens every day. And that's why Jesus says, come, confess, soften your heart, plow up the hard ground of your heart. That is hard work. We all love seeing those beautiful fields with the corn stalks. But do you understand the years that it took for that farmer to pull up the rocks, to cut down the trees, to, ch- to grind up the stumps, and to prepare that soil to receive the seed. It is hard work to not have a hard heart. But I want you to see, just look at this very quickly. Look at Mark chapter, this is a theme throughout Mark. Look at Mark chapter 3 verse 5. Mark 3 verse 5 says this, Jesus was about to heal a guy on the Sabbath. And he says, After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Do you understand how much Jesus is grieving over my hardness of heart this morning? Look at chapter 8, verse 17. Or, um, yeah, verse 8, chapter 17. Chapter 8, verse 17. The disciples had witnessed Jesus feed 5,000, 20,000 people at a shot. Then a month later, 4,000 people, 16,000 a shot. Then they're in a boat going across the sea, and they're without bread, and they didn't know where bread was coming from. So Jesus says this. He said they had no bread. They were arguing over the fact they had no bread in verse 17. Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hard heart chapter 6 verse 52 for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the lows because their heart was hardened throughout 
Mark, you will see this recurrent theme about hardness of heart. Look me in the eye. Does any of you, like me, struggle with a hard heart this morning where you're hearing God's Word, but you have no intention of living them out? You can't live everything out, but you can take one seed this morning and intentionally live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. The second type of seed back in um, a soil, back in chapter 4, verse 16. And in a similar way, there are ones in whom the seed was sown in rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. This heart is a shallow and immature heart. A shallow and immature heart. And here's the key question behind it. What truth has God planted in your heart but is in danger of being scorched because of adversity and what other people think? Danger of being scorched. You see, here's the the phrase, no firm root. The idea is the soil is very shallow, so the root grabs it and just, the seed is in there and just, boom, it pops up. It's like an emotional, oh, I'm I'm popped up, look, I'm, I'm growing, I'm growing. But when it says persecution and and, um, affliction there, the affliction, philipsis is the word there, and it means pressure. It's literally the word pressure from circumstances. And then persecution is pressure from the outside. So pressure from the inside, pressure from the outside, takes that seed and it just scorches it. Just like what's happened in a lot of our yards and hopefully it'll rain this week. The sad thing is some of us are more concerned about our yards darkening and drying out than our hearts. The idea is simply this. We grow just enough to feel good, but not enough to grow strong. Let me say it again. We grow just enough to feel good, to impress the people around us with our spiritual growth, but not enough to grow strong. So we end up caving. And by the way, a shameless plug. Next time we do brave hearts. Anytime you hear the word brave hearts, that's for the men of the church to get together to pray for our students and our children that they may not cave in junior high, high school, college, and beyond. That's all we do. We need to pray for them for brave hearts. Because people, men and women, we do not do what we believe, we do what we value. We do what we value. When I said 10 bucks is up here, life said, no, no big deal. One cheapskate said, yeah, 10 bucks is a lot of money. I got five kids. It's valuable enough for me to act on it. And that's exactly what God's saying. Is my truth enough value that you're going to act on on it and not cave because of persecution? When the storms arise, when storms come, The roots and the winter comes. That's when the roots of our trees out here grow deeper. They grow deeper when it's cold and when it's wintry and when the storms push against it. And that's exactly why God allows these things to drive his seed even deeper. There's only one remedy. One remedy if you hear this morning you have a shallow heart. You've grown enough to impress others, you've grown enough to feel good, but you haven't grown enough to be strong. Paul's prayer in in, um, 
Ephesians 3 says this, My prayer is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in His love, His character, may know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. The more you understand God's love for you, the deeper your roots grow. It's not about your love for God. It's understanding His love for you. Big difference. If you want to grow strong in your root system, then bury yourself. Because the more you are overwhelmed by the love and grace of God, the less likely it is that you're going to be overcome by the world. Overwhelmed? Overcome. The choice is yours. One or the other is going to describe your life. Jesus says, I want you to be overwhelmed with my Father's love, which we constantly talk about and sing about. Now, let me just give you a little pop quiz, okay? A little pop quiz to see if you're listening. What is the number one responsibility of an apple tree? For those who said, grow apples, it is to cure your roots. It is God's responsibility to grow the apples. You grow the roots in Jesus Christ. God will grow the apples. Just want to keep you awake here a little bit, okay? Number three, the three kind, third kind of soil. It's in, found in verses 18 and uh, 19. It says this, And others are the ones whom the seed was sown amongst the thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word. There's that word here again. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This kind of heart is a choked and distracted heart. Choked and distracted. The word worry in scriptures, meridale, where you get the word meridian, divided. Anything that divides your heart from focusing on the, God, on the Father will choke your heart. Here's the key question behind this. What is God trying to grow in your heart that is being choked by worry, stuff, ambitions, desires, or lie? That's a huge question. It's called an overcrowded heart, where Jesus is one amongst many things, but he's not the main thing. An overcrowded heart is one where Jesus is one amongst many good things in your life, but he's really not the main thing. And any time that Jesus is not the main thing in your life, Satan will choke out God's truth. I don't care how many Bible studies you go to, I don't care how much you've read, how many sermons you've listened to, it will be choked out if he's not the main thing. It's all about Jesus. So every time there's worry, every time you feel the pressure, anytime you're comparing yourself to someone else, all these things that choke out God's word, God is saying this, come and understand that my son needs to be first place in your life. That's the only antidote. Make sure that he's the first place. And you're going to have to make a decision along the lines. You're going to have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Do you have the courage? We started our couple's home builder class last week. And one of the questions we did going around that, uh, going around the group last week was, how would you describe your spiritual life as you enter this class? The number one word that must have been mentioned 10, 12 times was busy. 
busy because we do not have the courage enough to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in order that Jesus might be first place. So are you busy? The idea is this. One thing that will help you to be uh, not so busy is to decide between these two words. Are you going to be filled or fulfilled? Most of God's people just want to be filled. God says, no, I want you to be fulfilled. Big difference. For example, most of you guys are going to praise. If you think about it, you probably don't go out to your car when you leave here and walk around the four tires of your car and say, boy, I really praise you tires. Thank you. Most of you don't do that unless you have a flat. Because here's what happens. Your tires are fulfilled. They're not just filled with air. They are fulfilled with that which they are designed. Now listen, nothing wrong with orange juice. But your car tires are not designed for orange juice. Nothing wrong with cement. But they're not designed for cement. Anytime you fill your life with something which you are not designed to be filled with, you will be filled but never fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, Come to me and be fulfilled in life. Fill your life with that which fulfills you. You are designed to be filled with my spirit. You are designed to be filled with my truth. Filled with good relationships. Filled with joy, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Fruit of the spirit. You are designed for that. Anything less than those nine character qualities, you will just be filled. You will never be fulfilled. So if you're here this morning and these words sort of hurt a little bit because you are too busy and the Word of God is getting choked out of your life, you would be wise to make the decision about being fulfilled and stop just being filled in your life. Now there's only one cure for this, and it's a hard cure. It's pruning. You need to ruthlessly, mercilessly cut off anything that's choking what God's trying to do in your life. Jesus said this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear much more fruit. Jesus is committing to pruning. Are you going to allow him? Back when I was in college, I had some fainting spells. And at first, a doctor at Bethesda Naval Hospital thought that I might have leukemia. And the only way to check that, because I had huge lymph nodes and so forth under my armpits. Okay, it's a little bit gross, I understand. But I remember going to Bethesda Naval Hospital, and they had my arm taped behind my neck like this. And they were just about to do surgery. And all of a sudden, this nurse runs in. Oh, no, you can't do it yet. can't do it yet. He's 19. He's no longer living at home. He's got to sign permission before he do surgery. So I'm sitting there like this, and with my left hand, I'm trying to sign the permission slip so they can do surgery. Same with the Lord. God is not going to cut just to cut. Are you going to give him permission to prune your life? That takes courage. Lord, would you please cut anything out of my life that's choking your word? Do you have the courage to do that? Is the question this morning. Now we've looked at four different soil types that Jesus mentions. Jesus says, I want you to do a spiritual EKG. Which of these most grabs your heart? Because there's one last one that I want you to hear. Okay? 
And the fourth one is simply this. It's a fruitful, multiplying heart. Verse 20. And there are ones on, which this, on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. The question is simply this. What will I do to cultivate a 10,000% return on the truth that God is planting in my heart? A hundredfold is not 100%. A hundredfold is 10,000. Most of you would break out in hives if you had a 5% return on your stock portfolio or whatever. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When I plant a seed, when I plant one seed, I expect a 10,000% return on the truth that I'm planting in your life. And so I want you to have good soil. I want you to have soil that is hungry, that wants my truth, that wants my knowledge, that wants my character. Do you have a truth? Do you have a heart that says every time God plants a seed of his truth in your life, God, would you grow that to produce 10,000% return. Now, some of what I'd like to end with two words, one little illustration and one word. If you take your Bibles and look at Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, some may not understand this, why Jesus did this, but in Mark chapter 11, um, Let's see, where is it? Verse 13 says this. This is, a, <clears throat> this is right before the cross, the Monday before the cross. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went up to see perhaps to find anything on it. What was Jesus looking for? Fruit. And when he came on it, he found nothing but leaves. Nothing but foliage. You may want to underline that. For it was not the season for figs. Now here's what's going on. Jesus cursed that fig tree as an illustration because a fig tree um, symbolized Israel. He says, everywhere I go, I'm looking for fruit and all I'm seeing are leaves. I'm just seeing religious outward conformity. I'm not seeing the fruit that should be bared with the planting of my Father's truth. Truth. So as Jesus approaches you, is all he's seeing just leaves or is there fruit? And that's why he doesn't curse you. Don't take that illustration too far. I'm just saying the reason why Jesus in his anger cursed that fig tree because he was looking for fruit, not leaves. And he was trying to give his disciples an last illustration before he went to the cross. Now let's end with this. We've taken a spiritual EKG this morning. Hard hearts, shallow hearts, distracted hearts, and good hearts. You would be wise to listen to your cardiologist, Jesus, as we end. I'd like to end with one word in chapter, back in chapter 4, verse 20. And the word is accept or receive. Accept or receive. You may want to circle that in chapter 4, verse 20. says this, they hear the word and accept it and bear much fruit. The word accept is paradokamai. You don't have to know that. Para means nectar, dokamai is to mean to receive 
and own something. For those of you that are followers of Christ this morning, what truth did you hear this morning that you're going to take by the hand? It literally means take something by the hand and make it your own. Will you take this truth by the hand and make it your own and act upon it? What's one truth that you heard this morning? For those of you who are not followers of Christ, you're just here checking out this Jesus. Do I really want to follow him or not? Is God's word really true for everything in my life? For those that are unbelievers without Christ, will you by faith take and receive Jesus' gift of eternal life by your hand? Whatever you are, whether you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, Jesus is inviting you to receive and take his truth by the hand and make it your own. If you're here this morning and you find that your heart is out of alignment and not a very good soil, pray with me. Father in heaven, this has been a hard passage for me to study this week because it speaks so much to my heart, my hard, distracted, shallow heart. Lord God, I know that most of the people in here want good soil. Would you produce that? Would you produce that kind of soil that we may live out the truth of your word? Thank you for how practical you are, Jesus, and thank you, Father, for what you've taught us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.